Like, I don't know what that is, but it, it does, I gotta admit, it feels pretty good, actually. Um, <laughs> we have been basically trying since this church began to try to find a way to get that into a service. And uh, we thought today, like, you know, it fit well enough as we wrap up this series, You in Five Years, that we could kind of at least rationalize putting it in there. And if I'm being ever so candid, we were also like, it's Memorial Day weekend, like half the number of people that normally show up will be here today. And so we thank you for being the guinea pigs on that little experiment. But contained in that video there from Mr. LaBeouf uh, is something that we really do want to communicate to you today. And it's what he was shouting over and over again, and that is to just do it. W- whatever that thought is, Whatever that kind of persistent, nagging idea that's continued to ring and and, and continued to come back to your brain here over the first four weeks of this series, just do it. Some of you have really, you know, this this idea of learning a new language, for instance. You're like, yeah, I really want to do it. Like, what is keeping you from actually going home tonight, making that a priority, spending five minutes each night and just memorizing one new word? At the end of these five years, you'll actually be fluent in that language. What's keeping you from applying for that new job? What's keeping you from being a more engaged parent, from taking up that new hobby, from reading those two pages of a book each night, from eating differently, from working out, from making that daily quiet time with God a priority, whatever that thing is, just do it. Um, I've always been enamored by like action sports, things like, you know, skateboarding and inline skating and wakeboarding. Like I'm always blown away by the hand eye and the, you know, the foot eye coordination that certain human beings seem to possess that I I just don't seem uh, to have. Skateboarding in particular, I'm fascinated by what people can do with their feet. And uh, for much of my life, I've always thought like, man, I'd really like to get into skateboarding. I mean, this looks like so much fun. I mean, it's probably a pretty gratifying feeling after you try a trick like a hundred times and you finally land it. Like I want to get into skateboarding. There were a handful of times growing up, like middle school, in high school where I'd randomly take up skateboarding uh, and then I'd inevitably fall. You have to like falling, you know, to kind of actually be into skateboarding. And I'd be like, yep, that's why it's not for me. That really hurt. Don't want to do that again. And then I just kind of quit all over again. Uh, But I'm the epitome of like watching skateboarders to the point where like I drive my wife nuts. I'm like, honey, like look at what this guy just pulled off. And she's like, I don't care. And I don't actually get why you care because you don't even do this. And I finally got to this point where I was like, all right, I'm actually going to commit to this. I'm actually going to do it. So I had $50 that was actually burning a hole in my pocket. It was a gift card to a mall. And I went into this, you know, skate shop. I bought a deck and I was like, I'm just going to finally start skateboarding like on a daily basis. And I'm happy to report that about two and a half years later in the warm months of the year, like five out of seven days a week, I spend between like 20 minutes to an hour, you know, just outside skateboarding, like when my kids are running around and playing. And and, and the thing that really kind of took it from like this thing that I wanted to do to a thing that I actually do was I finally just set in my mind that I was going to make it a priority. I finally was just like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm actually going to go out and just do it. And, and a lot of you, you need like that, that Shia LaBeouf video queued up, ready to play for yourself first thing every single morning because you just need to do it. It's time for you to stop thinking about it. It's time for you to stop dreaming about it. It's time for you to stop telling yourself, I really ought to, and you actually should do it. If you've been tracking with us uh, for this series, and if you haven't, uh, have no fear. You can always go online and get yourself caught up. Every single week kind of builds off of the last, which is why we make a big deal of this and why we talk about this every week. But you can go to grumlaw.com slash messages and get yourself caught up there. You can listen to the messages. You can watch the messages. Uh, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Uh, but if you have been tracking with us, uh, you've noticed that we've been asking you know, a specific question every single week of this series. And so in the first week, we asked the question, Who? Who do you, who do I, who do you want to be five years from now? What do you hope to have accomplished five years from now? Where do you want to be in life five years from now? And getting to that point to whoever, where you want to be, where God wants to take you is not going to happen by accident. 
The, the reality is, and we've been driving this home throughout this series, is that future you is just an exaggerated version of current you. If you're a kind and compassionate person now, as you grow older, you're just going to become more kind. You're going to become more compassionate. If you're an angry person now, as you get older, you're just going to get more and more angry unless you change course, unless there's some sort of intentional change that you implement into your life. And the second week, we talked about the why. Why is it so difficult for us to change? Well, why is it so easy for us to just kind of stay in that rut? And it really comes down to inertia. An object in motion stays in motion. It's hard to get ourselves out of that rut and then continue to stay the course and allow momentum to eventually take over. In the third week, we talked about the how. How do I change? As we've been stressing throughout this series, it's not because of one big time drastic decision that you're going to make here this morning, but instead ongoing consistency over an extended period of time. And so we challenge you to make your goals stupidly small. Almost embarrassingly small, but so small that you'll actually end up doing them. And then last week, if you were here, we talked about the when. When are you going to make these changes? And and, and when we think about our lives and we think about our days, uh, most of the time uh, as Americans, uh, we're actually thinking about them incorrectly. We think of our days as kind of beginning when our heads come flying off the pillow. When we wake up in the morning, when our alarms go off, but that was not God's originally design, original design. What we should be thinking about of our days as from evening to morning. Think of your day as beginning, basically, when the sun begins to set. And if you make your evenings and you make your mornings really, really good, then regardless of what happens in the midst of the chaos that you can't really control between the hours of like nine to five, it doesn't really matter because you've already had a great day. And today, as we move on to part five, as we wrap up this series, the question that we're going to be asking is, what if? What if our five-year plan does not go according to plan? Because as every single one of us have experienced, and again, this is not just a Christian thing, this is a human being, this is a life thing, sometimes our, plan don't go, our plans don't go exactly as we have envisioned. Circumstances well out of our control swoop in and suddenly derail our plans. Now, I'm not talking about circumstances where like, you suddenly decide that you're going to go on a diet, you're going to start eating better, and about two weeks into that diet, somebody brings in donuts to work and you decide to house three of them. That, that, that's on you. That that was a you decision. I'm not talking about a commitment to work out. And again, about a month after working out, you suddenly decide that you're just going to stop because you're just too tired. I'm not talking about a daily commitment to spend time with God. And then about after, you know, two months, you, you kind of go off the rails because you get hooked on some Netflix show and you're staying up way later than you ought to. And so there's no way you're going to get yourself out of bed any earlier. The, the, those are all you decisions. Those are all choices that you made. No, no, I'm talking about those things that, that no amount of preparation or planning could have prepared you for that. I'm talking about things like an unexpected job loss, a life-altering diagnosis. I'm talking about things like, like miscarriage. I'm talking about losing a loved one out of nowhere. Th- th- these things that even if you tried to plan for it, it would be ridiculous. No amount of preparation could have paired, could prepared you for those moments. What, what do we do in, in, in those situations? What if our five-year plan does not go according to plan? About five years ago, I was skiing with my older brother at, at Mount Brighton. I loved to snow ski. And there was this massive jump that they had built for a competition that they were having later on that day. And everybody was doing the intelligent thing and just kind of skiing and snowboarding and around it. And my brother, and this is what brothers do, they make terrible decisions around each other. He goes, hey, you think you'd go off that jump? And I was like, yeah, 
I'll go off that jump. And so I skied past it a couple times. And I was finally like, all right, this is my moment. I'm going to show off to all these people. I'm going to just like, I'm probably going to win an award. Like this is going to be a good moment for me. And uh, I went off this jump. I was carrying way too much speed. And for those of you that have any experience like going over jumps, like right, the, the, the ideal thing to do is to go off, gracefully fly through the air and then land kind of on the downslope. Well, I went way too fast and I overshot the downslope of the jump like by a wide, wide margin. In fact, by about 20 yards. And, and, and then something happened in the skiing community, we refer to these as yard sales. Everything was like scattered everywhere. There was like a ski there, a pole there. One of my gloves came off. I don't know how that happened. And I was just laying on the ground. And my brother reminded me after the last service, actually, he then tried to do it, even after he saw me eat it, did the exact same thing. He also ate it. Uh, and so we're both laying on the snow, just like grabbing our, our you know, respective body parts that suddenly hurt a lot. And, and I noticed that in particular, my knee, there, there was a lot of pain in my knee. And so for the rest of the day, as I was skiing, my knee kept like kind of slipping out of place and it felt really uncomfortable. At the time I was in orthopedic sales. So I knew that it was probably a good idea to not mess around with your knee any further. And so I took it easy for like literally months. Now we fast forward to like 4th of July weekend, every single year, my family, we go up North for the 4th of July. We do a ton of boating. And I was like, you know what? Things are feeling pretty good. So I jump on the wakeboard. I try doing some tricks that I probably shouldn't have tried doing again. And I, I come down at a one time in particular, and I was like, gosh, it, like the pain was back all over again. And I told my wife, I was like, all right, fine. When I get home, I'm actually going to get an MRI on this thing and figure out what's going on. Uh, two days later, my wife and I are headed back from up north. We decide kind of impromptu to get a hotel room and just have like one night just to ourselves. Uh, and I'm in the hotel room, and I, I wish I could tell you that, that I had tried to do some great athletic feat. It just wasn't the case. Uh, we were listening to music in the hotel room. This sounds like this like ridiculous situation. It, it is kind of is. And I was like dancing like a moron. Like guys, we know we do stupid things in front of our wives to try to get them to smile. And I'm just like, ooh, 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 like having a good time. And I twisted my knee ever just so right. And all of a sudden I literally heard an audible like, and I go, oh my gosh. And I collapsed. And my wife thought this was part of the dance. And she's like looking at me. I'm like, no, 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 this is real now. And with tears coming down my cheeks, I go, honey, I just tore my ACL. And she's like, how do you know? I'm like, I have seen this injury so many times now in people. I'm positive I just tore my ACL. And she's trying to talk me off the ledge. I'm like, no, this is what happened. You know, next day I get an MRI. And uh, as I suspected, I tore my ACL. And uh, for me, that was like, honestly, like I look back on that, that was like actually kind of a hard moment for me. I was like, look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I'm officially an old man. My body is falling apart. Uh, I was having visions of those Bengay commercials where there's like the grandfather sitting on the deck just like uh, rubbing his knees and his grandkids are out playing and he can't do jack squat because his body's failing him. Like that was me. I'm like, that's my moment. This is me. Started researching nursing facilities like that I could enter myself into. No, that part's a joke. Uh, but what are you going to do, seriously, when the unexpected does happen here over these next five years? Are you going to abort ship? Are you going to quit the diet? Are you going to abandon your goals, work your way back into that rut, become the you that, let's be honest, is really, really easy for you to be? Now, as we think about this, this what if, like what, do, what are we going to do? What, what if our plans don't go according to plan? I want to direct our attention to a passage of scripture that we find in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of the first four books of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are those first four books of the New Testament. Uh, they're commonly referred to as the Gospels or the Good News, and they're called that because they document Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection kind of from four different people's perspectives. 
Uh, and if you're skeptical of this whole Christianity thing, uh, in fact, if you've never really opened up a Bible and actually read it for yourself, Luke would be a fantastic place for you to start because Luke, probably like many of you, uh, was skeptical of this whole, all this stuff that he was hearing about Jesus. It, it seemed like a fairy tale to him. It seemed like just too good to be true. And so he went out and thoroughly investigated the events surrounding Jesus' life. He talked to a lot of the eyewitnesses who had spent time with Jesus in the flesh, people who had been there for the miracles. And he came to the conclusion that, you know, Jesus is exactly who he said that he was. I've thoroughly investigated this, and I found that Jesus was telling the truth. And there's one story recorded for us in Luke chapter 10 that it's one of those stories that, that if you just read by it really quick, you almost think to yourself, like, why did they include that in there? It, it just seems so incredibly random. It's not very long, uh, but there's something packed within there that, that gleans a lot on the subject of, of the what if. What, what, what do we do if, if our plan doesn't exactly go according to plan? Now, to give you a little context, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling around now, much of the ancient world at this point, and, uh, and, and telling people about these new teachings. He's going around and performing these miracles. But throughout Jesus' time on earth, uh, his home base was kind of Jerusalem. And he had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Jerusalem. There were some people in Jerusalem that really, really loved him, uh, but there were a lot of people that weren't big fans of Jesus, uh, most particularly the religious leaders of that day who weren't too fond of this new message that Jesus was propagating. Uh, but there was one lady in particular that, that when she heard Jesus was going to be passing through, got really excited about that, and her name is Martha, and that's kind of where we pick up the story today. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Jesus and disciples, have been on for the road for a while, and Martha hears that they're coming, and she says, hey, why don't you and, and your disciples, those 12 guys you spent all that time with, why don't you guys just come into to my home for the night, and I'll give you a meal, I'll give you a place to stay for, for the evening. And so they figure, what the heck, and they go into Martha's home. Now, as a bit of a side note here, a little bit of a rabbit trail, for, for those of you that, that are Jesus followers in the room in particular, I think every one of us is called to be hospitable. Not, not, not every one of us are, are Martha Stewart. Not, not every one of us have that gift of hospitality. But I think this is one of those areas that if you call yourself a Jesus follower, I think it's better for everyone, but the Jesus followers in particular, this is something that you should try to develop in yourself. Uh, hospitality is definitely not one of my gifts. In fact, uh, when my wife and I got first married, you know, we, we had people over all the time. That was kind of my wife's thing. And, and it brought me like anxiety because I'm like so OCD. I know that about myself. People, you know, walk into my house and they don't take their shoes off. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's twitching in my neck. Like it, it, it kind of makes me anxious, but over time I've definitely gotten better at it. And for those of you that do this on a fairly regular basis, my wife and I try to have at least, you know, one couple or one person new over to our house each week. There's something special that happens in the confines of your home. When you invite that neighbor, when you invite that coworker, when you invite that person that you occasionally talk to here on Sunday mornings into your home, there's a bond that is formed that is really, really hard to achieve in just like these five, ten-minute conversations that are basically small talk. If we're called to show the love of Jesus to other people, I think this is one of those areas that we absolutely have to develop in. It says, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening, listening to what he taught. Uh, Mary, rather than helping Martha prepare for this meal, rather than helping Martha prepare for these guests that are now in the home, she chooses to sit and listen to Jesus rather than helping Martha, which, by the way, does not go unnoticed by Martha. We'll get to that here in just a second. Um, but this is certainly worth pointing out as well. Um, this is a point in history, in the history of our world, thousands of years ago, where, where women did not have very many rights. They didn't have a lot of value, in fact, in a lot of people's eyes, particularly in the eyes of men. But Jesus doesn't shush her away. 
He doesn't look at her and say, hey, well, why in the heck aren't you helping your sister? He isn't talking to the crowd and occasionally, you know, shooting Mary looks like, what in the heck are you doing here? I mean, it was considered taboo to sit under the instruction of a man back at this point in history. And this is one of the things that we see over and over and over again throughout Jesus' life. He's constantly elevating women. He's constantly giving them dignity. It's one of the reasons, I've said this before, I think every single woman should be a Jesus follower. I'm serious. Because of how much dignity and life that he gives to them. Because of how much status he gave to women at a time where they had virtually no rights whatsoever. We often think of these big names. We think of like these women rights movements. We think Sojourner Truth. We think Susan B. Anthony. We think Alice Paul. Jesus was so far ahead of that. I mean, thousands of years before those people were even born. In a time when women had no status, where a man could separate himself from his wife for virtually any reason that he saw fit. At a time in history... Where, where, where a number of women would have been consider, about, considered as valuable as a choice piece of livestock, Jesus swoops in and says, absolutely not. You are a child of God. You, you are a daughter of the Most High. You, you are created every bit as much in my image as the man that sits to your left or the man that sits to your right. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And right here, we have one of the first recorded instances of passive aggressiveness. (laughs) Mary was hearing every word that was coming out of Martha's mouth. I mean, I, I want you to try to, you know, imagine this situation. It's like Jesus, the disciples, probably a couple other guests, Mary, probably the only one sitting in that circle. You know, they're all kind of talking in the living room. Jesus is doing some teaching. And every once in a while, Martha pops her head in. And she's pulling one of these numbers. <clears throat> and Mary's just like in the zone. Like she's not listening at all. And so she goes back in. And all the while, she's getting more and more and more frustrated until she cannot handle it anymore. And she interrupts, she's like, hey, Jesus, I, I know you're talking, but uh, can you give me just one second? If you happen to see Mary, <laughs> let her know that I could use some help because I heard that she's not really doing much. So if you happen to locate her, just, just let her know that I could use some help right now preparing for all of you. Okay, anywho, have a good time. You know, and she goes back in to the kitchen. You guys, it's incredible that, that, that Mary didn't stand up and be like, hey, Martha, you got something to say to me. Why don't you say it to my face? I mean, they're sisters. But watch how Jesus responds. He, he doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't ignore Martha. He, he doesn't sarcastically look at her and say, hey, Martha, why don't you relax? He, he instead responds with such kindness and compassion. And again, this, this is one of these things that we see over and over and over again throughout Jesus' life. His ability to just respond with such humility, with such kindness. I think about my own life. I won't put this on you, but for me. I think of how many conflicts, how many disagreements wouldn't even gotten to the point that you would have called them a conflict or or that you would have even called them a disagreement if I would have just instead chosen to respond with kindness, to respond with compassion rather than popping off, rather than making sure my point was heard rather than than being quick-tempered, rather than getting defensive, we would all just take a deep breath and respond with kindness, even in the midst of frustration, even in the midst of anger being spewed at us. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, that, that, that choice of words, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. 
there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And right here, Jesus makes a bit of a transition. He's not just saying there's only one thing worth being concerned about right now as it relates to this meal or as it relates to this moment. He's literally saying there's only one thing worth being concerned about in life. For you, Martha, for all my guests that are sitting here, and certainly for you and certainly for me, he says there's only one thing worth being concerned about in this life. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. And that right there is the little nugget why I think Luke found it appropriate to include this this seemingly tiny little story into his gospel account. What can't be taken away. Mary's discovered something that, that we would desire for every single person sitting in this room today. It's actually why we started this church. It's what motivates us day in and day out. As Jesus says, there's just one thing worth being concerned about. It's the one thing that wouldn't you know if we got just this one thing right, everything else would fall into its place. And that one thing is is your relationship with Jesus. Focus on that. Get just that one thing right, and the rest of your life suddenly begins to gain perspective. It's incredible the clarity and the contentment you begin to experience. Now, now as we recognize and draw attention to nearly every single week here at Grumlaw, we know that, that all of you find yourselves at different points on this whole faith journey. Some of you are at the very early stages. Some of you, as I said earlier, you're skeptical of all this. And so frankly, when I say something like your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life, I mean, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, right, not a chance. That sounds ridiculous. Again, you're just trying to get basic questions answered as it relates to Christianity, as it relates to Jesus. So the idea of a relationship with him sounds a little bit far-fetched. It sounds a little bit like a fairy tale, but that's precisely why we would invite you to keep coming back to keep exploring, because I want to be upfront with you today. This is the end goal. This is what we are trying to get all of you to work towards. This is why we exist. We want you to experience the joy and the fulfillment of entering into an actual relationship with Jesus. Jesus, who sacrificed himself on a cross for you. Jesus, who took on the weight of your sins on his back, again, for you. Jesus, who went to enormous, enormous lengths to demonstrate just how badly he wants a relationship with you. Jesus, who went to great lengths to demonstrate just how much he loves you. And because we don't experience that type of unconditional love literally anywhere else in life, it is so easy to dismiss it. It's so easy for us to think it's just too good to be true. Or or maybe you don't feel like you have all your questions answered. We hesitate, we wait, and ultimately we reject. But y'all, that was never meant to be the message from Jesus. His message today is exactly what it was thousands of years ago with Mary. Sit at my feet, keep showing up, keep exploring, bring your doubt. Bring your skepticism, bring your questions, and slowly but surely you'll begin to put the pieces together. See, see, the message of Jesus was never meant to be follow and you'll get it figured out. Follow and you'll get it figured out, right? We, 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 we right here, we, we, we focus on this part. We say, get it all figured out, and then at that point, then, okay, maybe, maybe I'll follow then. 
But Jesus all along, his message was always follow and then you'll get it figured out. See, like Martha, we can get so hung up on the details. Focusing in on getting everything just right and we can forget who we were chasing after in the first place. And by no means, I don't want you to get this confused. We're not telling you to just believe in Jesus for the sake of belief. To how dare you bring questions and how dare you bring in doubts for too long. That has been the approach of the Christian church. But the reality is, you're always going to have questions. As soon as you feel like you get one of those questions answered, you're going to overturn another rock and there's going to be another one. You guys, I'm, I'm a pastor. I still have questions. I do this for a living. I still have questions. There's still doubts that circulate around in my mind. And the reality is, again, if you wait until you get every little detail resolved in your head until you begin to actually form a relationship with him, if you wait until you get everything figured out to begin following Jesus, you're inevitably going to find yourself on your deathbed still asking those questions. And that is precisely why Jesus invites you to follow. But, but, but Jesus, what, what about, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just start following me. Follow me, and then you'll begin to put it together. You hear us say this all the time around here. You can belong here long before you embrace everything that we talk about here on Sunday mornings. You can belong here long before you believe. And so there are two things, really simple this morning, that I think that we can take away from this interaction between Jesus, Martha, and Mary. Number one is to choose it. Number one is to choose it. Choose to begin following Jesus. Choose to continue to take steps towards Jesus. Uh, some of you, maybe you notice these, maybe you don't, they just maybe kind of become white noise to you. On your way in uh, every single week, we have seven banners that are set up. Uh, we refer to those things that are on those banners as the Grumlaw Seven. Now, I'm always quick to acknowledge uh, whenever I mention the Grumlaw Seven that I am not nearly arrogant enough to try to convince you that we came up with those things. Okay, we pulled those from scripture and we just tried to put easy to understand language around them and put them in somewhat uh, logical order. But we feel like no matter where you're at on this whole faith journey, your next step is probably somewhere there among the Grumlaw Seven. The first one's weekends. For some of you, it's really, really simple. Somebody bribed you. Somebody basically begged you to show up here today. And your step is really simple. You just need to start showing up back. back keep showing up here on a regular basis. Keep making this a part of your weekly rhythm. And then begin to see what God does in your life. The next one's baptism. Now, we saw, as we mentioned, 12 people go public with their faith last week. If you put your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized as an adult, what in the heck are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The reason that we make that such a big deal out of that is because you have no idea how your story might help another story be told. If you believe in Jesus, well, what is holding you back from going public with that and declaring that to the world? Next was daily encounter. Some of you, you become professionals. I mean, you're really good about showing up here on Sunday mornings, but you guys, this one hour each week is not going to sustain a relationship with Jesus. That's going to be during the quietness and the stillness of your own life where you dedicate quality time to actually forming a relationship with him. That daily encounter of, of talking with him every day, of, of every day getting into his word and actually allowing the Bible, those words contained within the Bible, to begin to actually speak to you. Next one's groups. We challenge every one of you to, to get out of rows and to get into circles. Connect groups are the most important thing that we do here on Sunday mornings. It's not these Sunday morning services. It's what happens in living rooms all in this area every night of the week. People who finally commit to move together, to be among people that are also taking steps towards God and their faith. Come the fall, we will make a big deal of this. It's our goal that every single person that shows up here on a Sunday morning will get themselves involved in a connect group. 
After that's generosity. And we say generosity, we're talking about being specifically generous with your finances. Some of you, you've given God control over literally every part of your life except money. I have found that, that, that money is the hardest thing for Americans, for people in the Western world to actually finally give up to God. You're willing to give them everything else, but when it comes to money, it's like, oh, I don't know, there's something that rises up in you. And you need to start giving a percentage, not just random amounts, but a percentage of your income away back to God. That is how we guard against greed. That, that's how we make sure that we're not going to be owned by the things that we own. Now, now, whenever you talk about money in a church, people's walls immediately go up. I, I want to make this very, very clear. I say this every time we talk about money. I, I could care less, and that's about as soft language as I can put around it. I couldn't care less if you actually give a nickel to this church. Don't care. I just want you to give a portion of your income away. Because for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It's how we guard against greed. It's something that's so difficult to guard against, again, in our materialistic, in our American society. And the next one is serve, giving of of your talents, giving of your time. Uh, If I can be so candid, uh, this church has has crushed it as it relates to generosity with their finances. Uh, An area that we struggle a little bit more when we give an opportunity to sign up and help with one of our ministry partners, like, hey, we want to all come together on this Saturday and, and, you know, take on this endeavor. It, It is like pulling teeth to get people to sign up for that. We'll write checks all day, but actually given our time, Actually, given my free time, I only have one weekend a week. I mean, I'm not about to give money to that, give that time to other people. That, that, that's a little bit more. Whether that's serving on a team here on Sunday mornings, but actually getting out in your community and serving there as well. And then lastly is share. You guys, there's so many people here who Jesus has completely transformed your life, and you basically never tell anybody about it. And there's then that person on your mind that, that you know you're supposed to share your faith with that individual. It's time to, to, to start being obedient to that. And when God prompts, you actually share about how Jesus has transformed your life. In a couple of weeks, actually, we're going to be giving you uh, some practical tips there on, on actually how to do that. And we're really excited for that. Whatever that next step is for you, it, it's probably there among those seven things. Like, like Mary, choose to sit at the feet of Jesus rather than running around like a chicken with your head chopped off, stuck in the busyness of life. As we've been talking about throughout this series, every single one of us, we have a very limited amount of time available to us each day, 24 hours to be exact. How are you using this precious commodity that we refer to as time? Are are you using it like Mary or are you using it like Martha? And, And to be really clear, when we read this story, it's not like Martha was doing anything wrong, right? I mean, Martha was literally preparing a meal for Jesus, I mean, he's the son of God. Like, I I think we would all agree that that's a pretty good thing, making a meal for Jesus. But so often, this is what we, particularly as Christians, fall victim to. We neglect the best things. We neglect the best things in favor of good things. We we say yes to those things, that they're not wrong. It's not like they're sin. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we in turn neglect the best. Yeah, it might be a great idea for you to go over and help a buddy of yours remodel his house, but if that's taking you away from your family five nights a week, then you might be neglecting the best thing. Now, if you're sitting here today and you do call yourself a Jesus follower, by by very fact that you call yourself a Christian, you are acknowledging in that statement, you're acknowledging that Jesus is indeed the best thing. And it's great to be hospitable. 
And it's great if you give a portion of your finances away. And it's great if you serve here on Sunday mornings. It's great if you've gotten yourself involved in a connect group. But don't miss this. Proximity to Jesus does not mean a closeness to Jesus. Just being close to Jesus, participating in things that get deemed godly, participating in things that get deemed churchy, does not guarantee an intimacy with Jesus. Martha was literally within feet of Jesus, within feet of the Son of God. But that proximity did not guarantee an intimacy. It did not guarantee a closeness with him. She was doing good things, but she was in turn neglecting the best thing. As Jesus would say, the only thing that was actually worth being concerned about. We we can get so focused on the what that we completely lose focus of the who. We can get so focused on doing good Christian things and we can completely lose sight of Jesus on the who that we ought to be doing it for in the first place. You guys, listen, again, I I totally get this. Again, I'm a pastor. It's like, I do Christian things for a living. It's like, what does your job entail? I don't know, Christian stuff. I just like do Christian stuff. I, I am so guilty of getting caught up in the details like Martha getting caught up in these good things that there have been countless times where I completely lose sight of of who I was doing it for in the first place, the why behind all of it. But but remember, and this is again, one of the things, one of these patterns that we see throughout Jesus's life, he's not after our actions. His his message was never do good and, and then in that moment, I'll accept you. He's after our hearts. He's after our motivation. Doing all of these good things should be an outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done for you. That is what we should keep our eyes fixed on. So number one is is to choose it. And then number two, to bring it all back around to Mr. LaBeouf is, of course, do it. Because it's one thing to just choose it, but it's another thing to actually carry it out. Actually make your daily time with God a priority. I mentioned this last week, even if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, even if you're not even sure if if who Jesus really was, you're still figuring things out. Every single one of us can dedicate at least five minutes to spending some time with God a day. Just give him five minutes. Start your day off just by, there's an incredible app and we mention all the time, it's called the YouVersion app. It's a free Bible app. They have it for uh, Android devices. They have it for iPhone devices. Like I, I can't imagine, if you're a Christian in particular, why you would not have this thing downloaded on your phone. And start your day at the very least by opening that thing up and just reading the daily verse and allow that to actually permeate a little bit. Think about, okay, how does that apply to my life? What truth is trying to be communicated to me through that? And then take some time and actually talk to him. You guys, prayer can be so intimidating, but it's just sharing honest feelings with God. There's a couple uh, that I've been coaching leading up to their wedding date this summer, and it's one of the challenges that I gave them. I was like, hey, I want you guys to just start praying together before meals and praying before you leave each other at the end of each night. And if at the end of the night, you know, you're not with each other, then call each other and pray together. And at the end of a month, you know, we got back together. I'm like, how is it going? And they're like, not very good, actually. It's pretty freaking awkward. And I'm like, yeah, and it's going to continue to feel a little bit awkward until you begin to do it more and more and more. And then it will become more natural. Within this app, there are countless Bible reading plans, thousands and thousands of Bible reading plans. Every single week, we have free Bibles in the back. It's one of the things I love hearing when our admin director, Jenna, comes up and she's like, hey, we need to order more Bibles. I love that, that people are actually taking those things. Start reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read through the life of Jesus. 
And watch how those words begin to actually speak to you. All these things will begin to feel like a part of more of our weekly rhythm, of our daily rhythm. It'll feel more and more natural. And, and here's why I bring this up, and here's why I think this is such a big deal as you think about who you want to become five years from now, what, what you hope to accomplish five years from now. When, when we stay focused on what can't be taken away, that relationship with him, and the unexpected happens, it's going to happen. Our relationship with Jesus is strong, no matter what is taken away? That relationship is the anchor that inevitably holds it all together. Back in September of 2015, uh, my wife and I, you know, had kind of been, you know, going through the marriage thing for a while, and you know, we're looking at each other, we're like, is it time? Is it time? And we finally decided, okay, it's time to be fruitful and multiply. It is time to produce some children. And we, uh, we said, okay, we're, we're going to go on one last trip as a couple. And, uh, and then when we get back from that trip, we're going to try to, to get pregnant. And uh, she got pregnant like right away. I, I figured out that that's a really good talent of mine. I can get my wife pregnant like that. It is. I'll stop talking so I don't get myself in trouble. And uh, yeah, I was like blown away when she told me that. She's like, I'm like, already? Okay. How did that happen? Well, I know how it happened, but that's unbelievable. That was really, really quick. And so, you know, for any of you parents out there, you know, like it, it, the minute that you get that news, it, it's hard not to rabbit trail, right? I mean, you start thinking about the nay, you start thinking about the room, you start looking in your backyard and like picturing that little like twerp running around back there, and you're like, oh my gosh. And uh, when you get pregnant, you, you don't ever think anything's gonna, like, gonna go wrong, you just think it's gonna go nice and smooth. And at our 10-week appointment, um, we, we sat there, you know, they pull up her shirt and, you know, they're starting to do the ultrasound. And, you know, as you go to these appointments, you start to get to know these people because you're in there on such a regular basis. And, you know, she's all chatty and chatting it up and all of a sudden she goes like super quiet. Like, strangely so. And you know, you just know. You can feel the tension in the room, and she excuses herself. She goes, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get the doctor. And, and I'll never forget this moment. And my wife looks at me, and, and it was this look of, like, this isn't good, right? Like, like is everything going to be okay? And I'm looking back at her like, crud, I don't think everything's going to be okay. And the doctor comes in and scans for a minute, trying to make small talk, but this franticness about her voice. And then she tells us, she's like, you guys, I am so, so sorry, but... Uh, we can't find a heartbeat. You've, you've lost your child. And in that moment, it was just like devastating, right? Because that was not our plan. That, that, that was not what we had envisioned. We, we thought everything was just going to go super smooth. And I'll be the first to admit, it was way harder on my wife than it was for me. The bond between a mother and child, whether that child's three weeks old or 50 weeks old, you know, there's just something that's special that happens there. And, and then we're dealing with all those insecurities of like, oh my goodness, like, is this going to happen again? I mean, is this going to be a reoccurring thing? I, I didn't want to see my wife go through that emotionally again. And I mean, we're wrestling with all that stuff. But one of the things that, that I remember so well is my wife's faith. That even in those moments where she'd just be sobbing, just like devastated, she had that faith, she had that relationship to fall back on. That, that, that thing that she was clinging to that could never be taken away from her. You guys, your plans are going to fall apart at some point. And, and what do you do then? What do we do when it, when it doesn't go according to plan? Well, Jesus would tell us there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. I mean, that's pretty great. You don't even need to figure it out. Mary figured it out. And it will not be taken away from her, and it certainly will not be taken away from you. Haven't every single one of us met people 
that in the midst of extraordinarily difficult and challenging situations, I, I mean, they are so confident. I mean, there's, there's this faith about them that it's just like, it, it's not like they don't care. It's just that they have just so much confidence in their relationship with God. And wouldn't you probably say that regardless of where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, that there's something about that that you want. You inevitably want to be more like those people. Jesus would remind us over and over and over again that this is not some pipe dream available to just a select few. It's available to every single person that sits in this room today if we would just concern ourselves with the only thing that's actually worth being concerned about. No matter what your goals are here over these next five years, and as we've been talking about, dream big, plan big, set huge goals for yourselves, get after it in a way that you have never maybe gotten after it before, but prioritize all of it with Jesus at the center. And no matter what happens along the way, no matter what life happens to throw at you, regardless of how terrible it might get, regardless of how derailed your plan might get, you will always have Jesus at the center. You'll always have that relationship to cling on to. And that right there can never, can never be taken away.